three, two, one. Welcome to another Stoned Apes podcast. The three motherfuckers are back again. Damn. Yeah. You, you have no idea how much I look forward to fucking Fridays, guys. Seriously, I love you guys. I appreciate yeah. you. You give me something to look forward in my week that gives me the ability to get through my weekend. And that's important, because I've got my fucking ass kicked this week. It's been a long goddamn week. And I've been working like 12, 14 hours a day. I'm sleeping four to five hours a night. Ugh. Fucking hurting, man. That sounds terrible. Just hurting. I am burning the candle on both ends. Just fucking effort. I'm all in right now, you know? And I'm so fucking tired. I got home from the gym last night at like 9.30. I, I told Michelle, I said, hey... I've got at least a few hours of fucking around getting this podcast audio set up because we were working on that, you know? And I uh, came down here until about 11 30, 12 o'clock. Went up, had to spend some time with her still. Went to bed at like 2, you know, woke up at 7, back at the fucking job. Oh my God. And so I haven't smoked weed at all today. And here we are. And here we are. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Sweet. it feels good to be home. Yeah. Feels good to be home. Yeah. All right. So listen up, Stoned Apes Nation. We have our first official sponsor. How fucking exciting is that? Look, that just proves if you beg hard enough, (laughs) you will eventually get your way. All the guys out there, you need to fucking pay attention to that. That shit works. You heard it from here first. Try that. That's a... (laughs) That's one person's journey. Well, (laughs) this episode is brought to you by our good friend, Anthony Ferguson, over at Malevolent Art Studios in Barnhart, Missouri. If you guys are out there and you're looking to get uh, a good tattoo, I highly recommend Anthony and his shop. He's got a couple of good artists that work over there. I've known him for a long time. I've had work from him myself. I get compliments on it all the time. Uh... He's an excellent artist, fantastic line work. His color saturation might be better than just about any artist that I've ever met. His ability to saturate color and do line work is exceptional. Um, And so, I've, like I said, I've known him for a long time. I highly recommend him. If you guys are out there and you're interested in getting a tattoo, go see Anthony Ferguson and Malevolent Art up in Barnhart. I know right now, if you mention the Stoned Apes podcast, you get a 20% off any book tattoo. So... That ought to be a good thing. I appreciate you, Anthony. I appreciate Malevolent Art for sponsoring the podcast. And uh, hopefully we will have more big things to come. Make sure you check out the description. I'll mention it again before we get off the podcast. But, so, that brings me back to what we're doing. What are we doing? So, what do we want to talk about on this podcast? We thought we were going to shoot this one kind of purposeful, weren't we? Like, make, like, a point of, like, mentioning some things, like, talking about, like, what we believe about and weird shit. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Why Stone Apes? Why the Stone Apes? What are the fuck are the Stone Apes all about? I get asked that question more than any question. Yeah, People are like, why the Stone Apes? What is this? Yes. Some of us, sometimes, yes. If that is a part of it, you know, but the name of Stone Apes isn't because we're stoned and we're doing this thing. It's we played it off the Stone Ape theory. And what is that? Explain that for the um, listeners. I mean, for the best way I can describe it, butcher is they believe that traveling nomadic uh, 
Neanderthals and or lesser than Homo sapiens. They missing linked. Whoever they were were traveling, following herds with the food, and they started eating the mushrooms growing on the way. And they're saying the psilocybin in those mushrooms helps link and connect new neural pathways to help evolution put us through evolution into speech, speech, Homo sapien language. Um, and so, with that, like our whole project is the evolution of the human, who we are as people. Yeah. How can we be better than we were yesterday? And on our journey, we're picking up these little tidbits as we go to help those new neural pathways, help find these new things, help make us better people. Yeah. Right. Spirits, yeah. whatever you want to call us. Yeah, just to be better in general. Right. You know? In whatever whatever pursuit of that is. You know, it doesn't, I want to be better at jiu-jitsu or I want to be better at disc golf or it doesn't, doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. I'll, like, I want to be a better business owner I'm, and as I'm on this journey doing these things, I'm doing I'm picking up these tidbits as I go and trying to evolve and see where these fit into my life. Of the many things that connect us, that's the primary driver that we all have in common, isn't it? We all all endless pursuit of getting better at anything, right? But we're all perfectionists. I mean, I'm a, a perfectionist to an extreme degree, right? And it's that pursuit of perfection in a healthy way that drives me. You know, but it can be unhealthy real quick, too. I know, but, but there's a pursuit of doing things healthy and having a healthy relationship with whatever it is in your life, and that's to be better in your relationships <clears throat> is another pursuit of evolution, whether that relationship be with me and you or me and my spouse or me and my disc golf or me and my jiu-jitsu or whatever it is, I can maintain a happy, healthy balance. You know, that's one of the things, too, and I kind of alluded to this before, and I mentioned it several times, probably on the podcast, but it's it's kind of sad that we don't get those development growing up. You know, they spend all that time in school, and they teach you how to read and write, and they do all this basic training on mathematics, and, and nobody ever sits down, and they don't teach you mental health. I've talked about that before, right? But they also don't teach you how to develop good relationships. They don't teach you relationship skills. They don't teach you interpersonal skills. They barely teach you. They even have elective as public speaking until you get to college. Like, how the fuck is public speaking supposed to be a college thing? Like, just about every job I've ever had has involved standing in front of people and fucking talking. Like, I don't understand where you get off like that's an elective. Like, we don't train people to be productive humans. Well, I think, I think the reason for that probably is because the model there is to teach people what to think not how to think because if you learned how to think if you were being taught how to think you would also probably be more introspective especially if it came from a young age oh yeah here's how to analyze things and how to think but that's not what the education model is or does i don't think well, you can teach someone how to think i think you i do have to give people the opportunity to that's oh. not restrict. Well, I disagree it, with that. I disagree with that. I think, actually, believe it or not, that's that was the premise of my biggest argument with education. So when I presented my uh, doctoral dissertation, my original dissertation topic was going to be on Education 4.0, which is essentially, for those that don't know the listening audience to kind of educate you, we've had three major industrial revolutions, Okay. 
the first one started with what we know as the Industrial Revolution in the, in the 1800s, 17, 1800s, and it came through. Um, then we had another Industrial Revolution that occurred in the 70s, which was the rise of manufacturing and manufacturing technology. Then we had a third Industrial Revolution that happened in the 90s with the rise of Internet commerce, right? Well, now we're moving into the age of the fourth Industrial Revolution. We've been going into the fourth Industrial Re Revolution for quite some time. So my field of research is the fourth Industrial Revolution. That's where I specialize in my field of research. And so Education 4.0 was supposed to be this gap bridger between the old style of education meant for that manufacturing world that existed two Industrial Revolutions ago, and how do we train people today to be able to move into it? And that was the premise of the argument was, the problem with our current education system is it's memorize and forget. STEM. Because before, before we had all of this technology, humans had to be like computers. We had to remember. So right. our knowledge was based on the collective amount of data that we could store and recall at any given point. So it was all about memory storage and memory recall. Well, now we live in a world where we can Google that. We don't need to learn how to memorize things. And so that actually, I, the reason why I disagree is we live in a society now where you have to be learned how to problem solve. You have to be taught how to problem solve. You gotta be taught how to use your resources to educate yourself, how to be able to adapt to new technologies. And learning how to think is actually what most people are missing. It's critical thinking skills that most people lack because they're not taught proper critical thinking skills. Well, well here's like what, what my argument is. I think critical thinking, going back to like the evolution, or maybe like I believe that was a trait humans have that have been evolved down through suppressed. our society, suppressed, and through our society, and through our yeah. how we built our system has been built to repress creative thinking. To, I think it is a natural human state. If you look at any child. Mm -hmm. And well, that, give them the opportunity to come up with just any kind of thoughts. I think I think we're I think you and I are on the same page. We're just saying it a different way because we use jujitsu as an analog. You saying what move comes next at a fairly not early point, but if you're doing it right, you know, like the conversation we had earlier, like you're like you know jujitsu. You know it. And now figure out what works for you. And the reason you can learn and pick up other stuff faster is because you learned how to learn. Mm -hmm. And it's processing the information. So you saying that kind of like exploration model that you're using, like we're saying, I think we're saying the same thing. We're yeah. just missing each other in the, in the language because... Well. It's like resourcing. The military, this, they do that. This actually ties perfectly in line with something <clears throat> that happened this week. So I've had a really big week. Not not just work-wise, but like personally. I've had a lot of personal, like mental development this week. And uh, so not to share details because my personal family details are nobody's business. But me and my brother and my my mom and my dad, we have a very storied past, like a lot of people do, right? We've had different levels of our relationship. And me and my brother have a critically conflict-defined relationship over the years. In fact, we just kind of reconnected here recently where we haven't really talked to each other for about the last 10 years, right? So it's this very new process kind of coming back. And so the other day I had him over to the house, and it's the first time I had invited him over and and uh, he's sitting downstairs, and you know, and I, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't. I, I thought we were reconnecting, right? 
And the conversation immediately got super serious. And I could tell by his tone and his posture and his eye contact. And you know as well as I know, when this happens with, like, brothers, the conflict escalation occurs quickly, right? And so immediately I found myself <coughs> becoming super defensive, right? But we talk about, like, ele evolution and communication. I've been working on my communication now for three years. So when I was in that situation and I felt myself become defensive, I had guards put up in place. I had practices and habitual things in place that said, no, I need to stop. I need to listen. Yeah, this is going to hurt. He's going to throw some jabs. Things are going to get stuck. But I need to hear, like, what's going on, why he's saying what he's saying, and, and just take in the data. Maybe, I'm, maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong. Who cares? I just need to take in the data. And then I did. And I'll tell you what, man. It was probably the most eye-opening conversation of my whole life. And I had a couple of takeaways from it that were real short. But one was, I've never listened before. I've lived most of my adult life with this gap of my parents' and brothers' history. My brother is 13 years older than me. So he's lived a life pretty much separate of my own. Like, we're related, but we didn't grow up together, right? He was moved out by the time I was three years old. So, like... It's not like I could remember, right? right? And my mom doesn't talk about her past a whole lot. And so I've grown up with this perception that I really don't know a whole lot of history. And I realized in the middle of this conversation that's actually not the case. I know all the history. Uh, I just never listened. People have been telling me this information the whole time, and yet I'd found myself so self-absorbed, so self-interested in what I was coming from in my perspective that I never even took the time to listen to what somebody was saying, right? And so as I'm getting through this conversation, now I'm learning so much about my family history. I'm learning so much about this. And then I get faced with this realization of like, like I told you guys before, this last major paradigm shift has really forced me to look back on my historical interactions and reassess and reevaluate where they're at. And I get to the end of this and I realize, holy fucking shit. Like, I'm a dick. Like, for real. Like, the person that I was most of my life was so self-absorbed and so conceited and really did think was better than everyone else. And I think if you couple that with the military and the hero to zero and then you get the degrees and the titles and the, the and all the little initials I got Accolades. behind my name and everybody tells you you're special and you know and then I become a professor and I'm teaching and and I think somewhere along the lines I really felt like I actually was better than other people and so my brother's saying that to me last night or the other night and then uh at one point he goes yeah he goes you know the first off he goes thought you know fuck that guy he just thinks he's better than everybody else and then he went on to start making excuses of what else I could have meant. And I just had to realize, I stopped him. I was like, no, you pretty much had it right the first time. Like, shit, sorry. Like, fuck. Like, that's a big realization to know that. And now it puts me in a weird spot because now i got all these people in my life that I know have put up with a pompous asshole for 15, 20 years. And... I feel they owe, I, I like owe them an apology. Like one of them sitting over there. One of them is sitting over there. You know, and me and Danny had talk, talked about this once. And um, Danny boy, Danny's like, you're right. I'm right but here. when I told him about that, I said, dude, I can't believe you stayed by my side. Looking at how I was, the person that I was, I can't believe you tolerated that. And you know, 
and I'm going to take words from him, I guess, but he told me then, he was like, look, I seen potential in you. I knew the person that you could be. And I stuck around for that. But, you know, not everybody would do that. And now I got all these people and all these relationships and all these burned bridges and all this shit in my life. And I'm like, yo, it was kind of deserved. They weren't wrong. But, man, the eye-opening thing for me is like, that's a fucking thing to come to terms with, man. So do you think that's a, uh, we've talked about it before a little bit, but the, we've talked about the difference masculinity can be fine, but the whole toxic masculinity and guys kind of being shitbags and what drives that, maybe? I think what it was is I think it's mis... I think it's it's good personality traits that get misplaced. And what I mean is I'm a very confident person. You know, me and Maddox were talking last night on the way home from fighting for Muay Thai. And he... he last night was a big night for him. He'd, I'd really got some time to work with him and got some mechanics right, and he ended up throwing this one cross that landed, and it was just, boom, it was beautiful. And I was like, wow, that was a hard punch. And so we got to hit something hard for the first time. And anybody out there that does striking or baseball or anything, you know, hitting a home run, right, that's the only way I can describe it. Throwing a good strike is like hitting a home run. And you spend and you spend all of your time chasing that, and you're never quite there. But every once in a while, like everything gets right, and you're like, yeah. And then you chase that again, right? And so I told him, I was like, well, you know, it gets better when you get to punch somebody, because then you get to not just hit another person, but then you get to see them react to that, and then it's like amplified, because then you get to watch them like wilt under that, you know? And it's like, yeah, I did that. Come here, bitch, you know? And he was like, oh, okay. And, And then he got down the road, and he goes. You know, you don't want to be cocky, though, because he was getting an air to me that I was cocky. And I was like, why? It's like, who cares? It's like confidence to the point of conceit. Who cares? And he goes, well, what do you mean? I was like, I, if you even think for a second that you're going to lose, that that guy can beat you, you've already lost. You have to be that confident. When I walk into the ring and somebody's in front of me, there's never a doubt in my mind. Prove it. You think you can beat me? Come on. you got to prove that shit to me because there's no way that I think that's going to happen. And that is conceited. And in that realm, that's productive. Well, it can be But you take useful. that to other areas. It can be useful. It can be useful. <clears throat> but you take this survival instinct and you apply this to other areas in your life because now you have a degree or now you make good money or now you drive a nice car or you wear nice clothes. Well, no, that's not okay because you need humility. You need empathy. You need to fucking remember where you came from. Well, and and I didn't do that. I mean, you and you and Danny have talked about it before, but in different facets, I think we've all been there, and it's that saying, "Pride goeth before the fall." Right? Uh, you can have everything taken from you in a heartbeat, based on certain things that happen, and it's it's good to be able to be humble, but still turn on those useful mechanisms depending on what kind of facet of life you're dealing with but to still be able to recalibrate when needed (coughs) and that's all about growing and everything else but you know i had that eye-opening a couple of weeks ago and i think we maybe even talked about that on the podcast but realizing that your life can change at any moment you know we always think about that with death well you know you can die any day (laughs) yeah but you know what other shit can happen too like your partner can wake up one day and be a completely different human and your whole life is getting ready to change. 
your kids can change, your job can change. Like, there are things that can change in your life that are as bad as fucking dying. Or, or, or worse. Or, yeah, or amazing, or right? Beautiful. Yeah. You have to be willing to, to be open to accept those things and, and to weather that. But it gave me a real appreciation for, like you said, both sides. One, it gave me a real appreciation for not taking today for granted. Two, it gave me a real excitement for opportunity. Because I know that two minutes from now, one phone call, my world changes that fast. And that could be for exponential greatness. And I know it's that quick. I don't have to see it coming. That's why, you know, I mentioned it the other day. I was like, I know big things are coming. I know that. Do I know where? Nope, don't care. All it's going to take is a phone call, a meet in a parking lot, one person that I bump into one day. That's it. Shit's going to rock it off. I know that. I don't need the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. Oh, man, that's good. Yeah, you can I circle back? Yeah, no, no, go ahead. I want to talk about that whole masculinity thing. Okay. Like, that was like, so when we talk about stoned apes for me, that was my original interest in the stoned apes, was talking about, like, what it means to be a man in the modern age. Because I think the modern definition of masculinity, or defining that, is super important now. Because we're really starting to lose touch with what is important about being a man, right? But then you corrected me and you said, no, it's bigger than that. It's about being a human, right? And I agreed. I was like, oh, yeah, Professor's right. Fuck you. Shocking. But, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, shocking. Because he always comes out with that wisdom, you know? But that really promoted me to, to want to be more outreaching and to grow and that's when you brought in the idea of the stoned apes it was like okay yeah that's what this is really about this is bigger than just being a good man it's about being a good human yeah a good being that exists in this whatever you want to call this universe however we exist in it and for all I know you get one shot at it right that's all I know I don't even know if that's true I just know I have this shot right now I know that I'm here right now. I know that in this moment we are consciously aware of our existence. I don't know if we're going to get that ever again. Yeah, Might yeah. as well maximize that opportunity while it's in front of you. Right, and I do, and the things of like what most big solid religions or teachings or whatever is just be nice to people is like probably the biggest general like golden book of golden life, rule. Golden Right. Uh, love. Right? Like, be, do all that you do. Be done in love is try how I try to live my life. Sounds like Jesus. But, I mean, right? You're and not then, wrong. And then in the sense, like, I, I could go to argue that, um, you know, in the Bible it says God is love. Right. And if I want to be God-like, I have to find that love. And with love, that's where it comes choices, your understanding, your ability to say, no, let me stop and listen. Right. And not even necessarily for love of that person, but for love of yourself, for wanting to be better. You know what I right. thought? We, we had that conversation about toxic masculinity at the gym a month or two ago, I don't remember. I'm sure you remember. I frequent that conversation. Right, I know. So. I, I know. I'm aware. But um, 
the I can just see the little lines. <laughs> the mid coaching. Yeah. Coaching. Well, well, you you know, you talked about the Midwest thing and uh, what it is, and I, I think the bigger thing, because we've talked about, like, how people can interact with their daughters, and you can even have, I mean, some people got more work to do than others, but you can even see a guy who may be toxic and other things, but they could still have a tea party with their daughter, and I think the bigger thing, not even with that, is just self-awareness. Right. I've been really, like, kicking that one around in my head, and what has helped me in the journey of being better and it's a, more a focus on self-awareness right uh, and I think I don't think it's the to- I don't think it's that masculinity is toxic I think a lot of stuff's hijacked and used but well, I think that's what the core of it is is that it's a lack of self-awareness of hey maybe I'm <clears throat> maybe I'm doing these things it, like it's a People aren't aware. Mm-hmm. If they had somebody who, <clears throat> for instance, I don't care how you, objectively, I don't care how toxic a person, well, drugs and other, you know, mind-altering substances aside or whatever. Right. If a man has his daughter come to him and say, you know, your little girl comes to you and says, Dad, you're hurting my feelings, or Dad, there's this. They're going to reflect. Right. Well, I can kind of segue into that. So Jackie and I got into an argument last night. And over whatever it was. But it it happened in front of the girls. And after, like, I feel like I overreacted. And I was like, damn, I I overreacted a little bit. And so I went to Jackie and I'm like, yo, I still believe in what I believe. But my actions were not good. I I like that. I still disagree with you. But the way I responded and treated you was not okay. My behavior was My not behavior okay. My behavior was not okay. Yeah, and, I like that. And I, then I went to the girls each individually, and I said, hey, like, how I acted was not okay. Right, it right. It was not okay for me to come off that passionate or however it was, right? Right. It was not okay for me to do that. And <clears throat> I apologized to your mom, but I wanted to apologize to you directly for, one, having to see that. I'm embarrassed that right. you had to see that. And I will work on myself in doing that and trying to be more patient when I am feeling those big emotions. What a great parenting moment, man. Well done. Yeah. Now, you guys both do some stuff that makes me think about how I'll deal with Arya later on. And like I said, I think last week or something, like I have great parents. They're some of the nicest people you will ever meet. Um, But... They were very hard on me at a young age. I mean, at one point, and my mom may deny it someday, but uh, she apologized to me because they were going through old family, like VHSs, when they were trying to put stuff to digital or whatever, and looking at videos like when I was like seven at Christmas, and she was like, we expected you to be a little man. Right. And they, truth be told, they did, (coughs) which kind of forced a bit of a wedge, I think, uh, in some regard, but objectively, they were good parents, they they tried to talk to me, and it, it kept me out of a lot of trouble and from doing other things, but uh, there's also things that I think I can learn outside that, uh, 
They they showed me a good way to go, but it's yeah. having conversations with your kids. You you touch on I I want to circle back to a couple of things, but you you touch on a really good point that um, Michelle and I were talking about the other night was I think that our generation is starting to really see the results of what's been lost in past generations. And I think that the part that everybody misses is that everybody wants to reflect on those past generations. They look at those as glory years. And what they're not seeing is all the things that we've fixed, right? All the civil rights movements and equality and all these other things, right? And we have created a better society in many ways. But in rejecting the old society to create those new pathways, instead of rejecting the bad things and keeping the good things, we rejected all of it. And then that next generation did it again and did it again. And now we're starting to see in our generation, I look back at some of the stuff that our parents did or that the grandparents did, and it's like, you know what? Some of these things made sense. Some of these things we need to reinstitute. And then we've started to, in our family, reinstitute those. Because it's like there has to be a point where recognition is given to what has worked, right? And, and that brings me to my next point, and it's like what you talked about. I realize the fallacy in the masculinity part of toxic masculinity. And the reality is it's toxic human behavior. Yep. And I think the one thing that gets overused too much in society today is everybody tries to label things. Well, this person's a narcissist or this person's this. Here's the reality of it. We all have narcissistic traits. Yep. We all have sociopathic traits. We all display characteristics of these traits at times, the best of us, mm -hmm. which means that the worst of us may display them more often. But that doesn't necessarily make them a narcissist, right? Yeah. And then if you look at toxic behavior, if you strip away masculinity and you think of women, well, we can define plenty of toxic behaviors in women. We can define plenty of toxic behaviors in men. The problem is toxic behavior. And it, it's the same behavior that manifests itself differently through the genders because of the social construct and the culture surrounding it, right? I think if you change the social construct, then the manifestation of that behavior would probably be more similar, given the construct to have a more, a, a more equal ground, right? So it's interesting when you start to think of it that way. And, but that brings me back to the, you know, the parenting moment of just, like, that was the biggest learning point with me is, like, I tell my kids when I go to give them advice, I let them see me fail. I let them see me make mistakes. I let them see me apologize because I tell them, here's what they really need to understand. I am at the same point in my life that they are theirs. The only reason why I can help them in their life is because I have been where they are at. I have seen what I have done, what worked, what failed. I watched what other people did, what worked, what failed. And through collective evidence and time, I can help him when he is 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. But the reality is, at 41... So I don't have a fucking clue what I'm doing. Yeah, well, I'm no more than you do, buddy. So, you know, but they need yeah. to see that, right? They need to see parents fail. Mm -hmm. And and be human and be have weaknesses and, and see that we can keep and maintain and forgive right. and evolve and say like, oh, yeah. Well, you know, well, and I that, made a mistake. How do I change? Well, that? and you know why that, that got lost is because of this toxic definition of masculinity. You listen to the conversation that we have, and I know the viewing, the listening audience can't see us, but nobody would describe us as feminine men. We are very manly, masculine-looking men 
who most people would see and assert as an alpha type, right? Yet, we sit around a table and we're having a very sensitive conversation, a very serious conversation, right? And most of my life, I really struggled with this idea of masculinity. Well, one, because I was raised by a very feminine father. So my dad was one of those guys, and I think there was a lot of them uh, in his day and age, men and women, who were probably homosexual or had homosexual tendencies, but they were repressed. And so they developed this weird, awkward, middle ground life. And they kind of rejected femininity and developed, like, toxic masculine traits. And, and then they kind of over-amplified everything, right? And so my dad was one of those guys. And so that was my father figure growing up. And so I kept trying to go look out for other father figures to try to find, you know, more masculine roles, right? But the problem with me is, is I adopted a lot of quote-unquote feminine traits. I'm a very sensitive guy, right? Uh, I'm prone to cry from time to time. It's, it's not uncommon. Um, you know, I can be emotional. I like a lot of things that are very feminine in nature. Like, I'm into fragrances and fashion and things like that. I love to go shopping, right? I probably have more of a shopping addiction than most of the women that I've been with. I do, too, right? for guns. Oh, yeah, right? So... I mean, those things are definitely there, but they're balanced by super masculine qualities, right? And, you know, you brought up an example once about your dad. He could go hunting, and then he comes in and has a tea party. And I had a very similar example, you know, that one day I went out in the woods, and I go down, and I'm wearing my camo, and I go out in the backyard, I shoot a deer, I come up, I hang that deer up, I gut it. That night, I get dressed to the nines, and Michelle and I head out, and we go to a nice dinner. You know, the same guy that can go out into the woods in the camo is capable of dressing up and putting on a front and going to a nice environment. Well, and yeah. when you look at our, our environment here in the Midwest, that is defined as being feminine, as being gay. Because here, you don't see that. That guy is going to wear the exact same outfit that he went out in the woods that morning and he gutted that deer with after his wife spends two hours getting ready. He's going to show up at the restaurant that night wearing the exact same outfit. Maybe he changed his shirt. Well, here's the thing. And that's what being a man is here. I, and I just don't agree with that. I don't even know that it's here. I just think it's a... Uh, I go back to self-awareness because I've been kicking this one around a lot. Everybody has things and interests and things that they like that they may... I, I'll go to this. Army. 21 years in one of the hardest jobs you can come in the army to do, right? Very alpha-centric, everything else. And I remember I'd be like, <clears throat> I'd go get a Starbucks chai loaded up, like ordering it, and guys would be like, what the hell's wrong with you? I want black coffee. i go, yeah, I like this one. And at one point I looked at somebody, like, I just would walk in, and guys would kind of talk smack. I'd be like, great, who wants to go out to the combatives pit? Nobody good. Shut the fuck up. This is what I like. <laughs> yeah. This is did, what I like. Did you order your soy chai tea latte? No, I don't like soy. Oh. Um, That's no. what I order. Right. Just no, say it. No, but hold the water, baby. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I like the dirty chai. But yeah, I like yeah. it. I like it dirty. Anyway, you got that in Korea. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, no, you got something else in Korea. Dun, dun, dun. No, but the the point is, is like people have to repress. I find it funny, even if you think it. I'm gonna use. Video games is an example. Like, coming up, it was like, oh, nerd, nerd, nerd. And now it's like an accepted norm. There's been this weird merging where, okay, well, now it's okay. Right? Uh, 
don't make excuses if you want to go to Harry Potter with your wife and you have a good time. Like, oh, she wanted to go. You, or right. whatever. You know you had fun. No, yeah, no right. or whatever. Right. right. You know, I know you sit at home watching move Harry Potter with her eating well, popcorn. Here's the Damn thing. Damn right. You know, I know, I know here's, you do. Don't yeah, I don't, though. I don't. Not me. Not me. Other guy can't. Not me, not me. No, but, like, uh, I mean, pick, pick whatever it is. It's the not wanting to own it. Like, you used a pink shirt example one time, and it's yeah. like... I probably never would just because I don't think it looks good on me. It's not because... Right. Your skin tone or... Yeah, it's kind of like whatever. Doesn't but, bring out your eyes. But it's yeah. not like... Yeah. <laughs> My color's black. Yeah. Uh, um, but, no, seriously, it's 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 like, what? what's the big deal? Okay, you like that? embarrassed or where... Right, well, but it's... Thing. We're scared it's, of But that's the thing, you know, and so... I, that's a real example for me because my youngest, uh, he has super long hair and he wears, you know, like unicorn hats and, and bright clothes. But he really helped me kind of see that, right? Because I grew up in this area, so I had a lot of those masculine kind of appeals. So that was his persona was challenging for me at first because it was very challenging to see a boy embrace his femininity so much, right? And to the point of, like, painting his nails and doing all that stuff. And, um, but then I realized, because I had this, this, the, this, talk, well, I was having a talk with Michelle, and, and she's the one that helped me come to this realization. She stopped me in the middle of this conversation. She goes, wait, 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 wait. She goes, so you're saying that you wouldn't wear the unicorn shirt out of the house because you're afraid of what other people would think of you. And I said, no, I just wouldn't wear it out because it's gay. And she goes, why is it gay? And I said, well... Because it is. Why? Well, because if other people see me wearing the shirt, they'd think I was gay. And they're like, so you're afraid? And I'm like, Damn it. yeah, fuck, whatever, <laughs> maybe. And, well, she's, and she goes, she goes, so what, what is, so she goes, what's the man? Who's more the man in this scenario? She goes, you or the 14-year-old boy who don't care what other people think and just wears whatever he wants because he likes it. And I was like, Ow. Yeah. Well, and I think you're right, though. It, it's like a spectrum. But we're putting on a thing too, like we're also saying, like, well, it's not okay to think, to think what, care what other people. Right. Think, or you know, go. Or, or say, like, it's okay to have some kind of like self awareness. Like, you know yeah. what? I want people to think. Or it goes. I care about whatever, fashion. So Obviously, you know, I want to look good. Right. Right. Or it goes okay. the. Or it goes the other way, and that's why I think the challenge of as a parent, right? Because society will push it the other way, too, now, right? It's like where uh, individual choices, what people want to do is between them and their creator, right? That's it. Period. Full stop. The end. Doesn't matter. But society will also say, um, hey, these things are okay. And so people will lean into those, and it'll kind of go the other way. And it's like... No, just think what you think, but be introspective enough to kind of check yourself. Like Michelle walked you down that path. It sounds like yeah, you oh, know she what I mean. Bred, she breadcrumbs but, but me it, to everything. Right, but if you're if you're, I'm the, like I'm like a little lost see, puppy. But that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> if, if you're just like you she's giving you the opportunity. To think. Yeah, but exactly. and, and if you're like, you know what? She makes actually, my ideas better. Actually, that wouldn't be a problem. But I just don't want to wear that. Right. Honestly, like, hey, you know what? Well, if I wanted to do that, that'd be cool. But maybe I just don't want to. I think this whole this whole particular conversation could be summed up 
by if people would just embrace a few things. One, strip away the idea of man and woman when it comes to being human. And just realize that we all have feelings, thoughts, emotions. We all have interests, right? And then the next part of that is embrace those. Come to terms with what you enjoy. It's your human experience. Like you said, we may not get another turn on this rock. This is your human experience. Embrace what makes you happy. What brings you happiness is all that matters. doesn't matter what other people think. Live to be happy, right? Uh, well, I think you got to... You gotta balance that against responsibility, but don't lose the why. Well, I think that's where it brings me to my third point. Once you embrace that, then I truly do believe that your goal is to be the best human that you can be. And in order to be a good human, it it involves leaving all things better than you find it. Whether it be Mother Nature, whether it be other humans, my interactions with you, my interactions with others, then I have a responsibility for that. But I can't get to there until I can own who I am. I have to find a comfort in who I am. See, and I think that's what we've lost. I was talking to... Nobody's comfortable in their own skin anymore. Well, I was talking to Ranger about it the other day, Uh, and... Him and I have had a bunch of talks this week, because that former friend of ours, long story, but, um, you know, like, even in the, everybody's so keen on, I have these rights, I have this right, I have this right, and what they don't realize, especially now in the political climate, I'm like, do you realize every right had a corresponding responsibility? Like, those weren't written in there. Like, yeah, you may have freedom of speech, but there's a responsibility there. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean there's no consequences. It doesn't mean, go- like, government can't necessarily yeah. enact those upon you because it's between you and your creator. But societally, interpersonally, you have a responsibility. Well, and see, that's a concept that's been lost in all areas of society. And this is one of the things that I actually used to counsel on when I was in seminary because a lot of Christians have perverted the roles. They, they like to quote Paul, and I forget what part it is in the Bible because... Right now, I've been smoking a joint for, like, the entire podcast, so I'm pretty high. Um, But back to the biblical portion of the podcast. Uh, (laughs) But uh, Paul makes a statement about, you know, the wives' responsibility of subjecting themselves to their husbands, right? And and I forget how the passage goes, but... um, it's just basically that uh, that the husband's responsibility is to love the wife as Christ loves the church, and then her responsibility is to worship the husband as the congregation does the church, right? And what gets lost in that is back to what Sam was saying on personal responsibility is what got perverted in the church, how we get this super masculine dominant role in the church is they left out the part of the responsibility that the husband's role was to love the wife as Christ loves the church. Now, that's the ultimate. Like, you think about that. If you're a Christian and you believe as Jesus Christ is the Son of God and his eternal love, his divine love, that is the greatest achievement that you could hope to get to, right? That's the Buddha's full enlightenment, right? Your, so your achievement level is now infinite. Well, and, yep. and that's your responsibility to your spouse? That doesn't sound like, hey, get in the kitchen and do dishes. That well, sounds like you now have this huge responsibility to live up to. But when you negate that, then you turn it into control. 
And that's how all of these, like you said, these rights and all of these rules and responsibilities get perverted because we lose the responsibility. We talked about that in an earlier podcast. We've lost individual responsibility. Don't have to blame me, me, just blame everybody fucking else. There's a passage in the Bible, and I may mess this up, and you may know more than me, even though I'm practicing, you're not anymore. But the original purpose of divorce was because of the hardness of hearts of men. It was to give women an out. He said, you can do this because of the hardness of your heart. So basically, hey, you're treating these women terribly. These women can go do something else. Like, right. it's, it's, it's in Didn't there. Didn't you mention, you brought up a, uh, we talked the other day, and you had brought up a, com- <laughs> uh, a point about the transformation of women from tribal participants to property because of the rise of was it agrarian no 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 that no no that was that was the uh correct me on that please so we were talking about i've been married this is my third marriage i'm not proud of that but both times i was cheated on uh you got that cigar by the way uh i handed it to you did you i thought i did did he i handed you i said here's a fat bottom bit um there is another one in there, if not, okay. but I thought I handed you one. Um, I thought you did, too. Did you smoke the one you handed me? No. Uh, so my second wife, about halfway through the marriage, I found out she cheated. I forgave it. <laughs> and, 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 and then, um, so anyway, going on this, because I had moved her back from Hawaii about a year and a half. I was living there alone, and I started really going on this deep dive because I was going objectively above and beyond, I would almost say, well, I will say in a very unhealthy fashion, not having boundaries. It goes the white knight thing you and I talked about the other day, the white knight personality type. Yeah. Um, not give, having boundaries, not these other things. But I, So I started trying to figure out why do people cheat everything else, and I read the book. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but the author. But the name of the book is Sex at Dawn. And And, yeah. We're dusk. Hey. With each other? Right. Alone. Uh, well, uh, but the premise... Is there a group? Is there a group? <laughs> the Do we pre- have options? <laughs> the, the premise of the book basically is that monogamy was not... It goes against our biology and, and some other things. Oh, and, okay. And that... Now I'm interested. Keep talking. The So even on a biological level, they said... And then you might be able to look it up, um, but the sperm, the male sperm, something like 90% of the sperm are not even designed to impregnate a woman. They're actually designed to fight and kill other sperm. And I was like, like mind blown. And the guy who wrote the book, he says, like, I'm in a monogamous marriage. Me and my wife, she helped him do the research for the book, everything else. He's like, I believe in monogamy. However, biologically, it, and even societally in most societies, monogamy didn't become a thing until basically agrarian societies kicked in. So on a tribal level, if you were traveling around, there was that, uh, you know, there's that saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, basically, it's, no, it takes a tribe. So if the three of us were in a tribe sitting around a pe- and everybody would have kind of their wife, 
and I don't want to say women were passed around, that wasn't really the case, but it was like, if all of a sudden your wife has a kid, but you know, hey, that one night, something happened with him, and something happened with me, we may be sitting there when that kid's born going, I don't know, man, he's got your eyes, and you may say, yeah, but he's got your hair, and so now we all have a vested interest, because we're traveling and we, uh, we don't have any ownership really of anything other than like some individual tools, but we all have a vested interest in that child being raised. And the premise of the book, and I'm not speaking for the author, but this was kind of my takeaway, was the woman had kind of an interest to do that because she knew the same thing, that now all these men have this interest, and that monogamy, and even going back biblically, so there is no... There are, plenty, there are plenty instances of polygamy in the Bible, and it was as a survival mechanism. Hey, we've been out at war fighting other tribes and everything else, and it was survival for the women. No, you take them in and all these things. And polygamy was kind of a thing. There's actually nothing against it biblically that I've found. People may try to cherry-pick passages, but like in the Old Testament, it was absolutely a thing. Anyway, and going back to what the author said about when monogamy became, especially in the Western world, a more normal thing, it was when agrarian societies kicked in and land ownership, because now, hey, I own however many acres, and I want to know that 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 property gets handed down to my bloodline, right? And that's where it became a more uh, taboo thing and again I'm a ser- like serial monogamist like whatever I've never cheated a day in my life but going through this trying to figure out like well why did this happen and it still doesn't excuse it because it's boundaries and there was a lot of bad bad stuff associated with both those marriages when I found a lot of stuff out but I was trying to understand like why right and kind of on that journey just the biological factor i'm like well hell 90 percent of sperm are to fight and kill other sperm the (laughs) the kind of logical conclusion to that is the survival of the fittest thing well yeah and we and i talked about that in a previous podcast where if you look at just biological survival we don't need one man and one woman you know, one or two guys can repopulate a tribe and we can continue on to survive as a species. That is how we are biologically wired, right? And, you know, when he was talking, it, you know, it reminded me of that um, there's this uh, society, I believe it's in Japan. I should probably look that up. You would know. But it's, uh, it's, there's a tribe out there or a village and the way that the village is constructed is it's relatively a free sex society where everybody is allowed to have sex with, with whoever they want. But the family units are the moms, the dads, the brothers, the sisters. So if the sister goes out and she gets pregnant, it's not some man in town's responsibility to raise that child. The brother is the father figure in that family. And then the brothers or the male figures would raise that child as their own. Because nobody knows whose child that is really. It could be anybody, right? Because they have open, free sex. And so I think that that is probably closer to our natural biological order of sexuality than what we are experiencing because of 
the rise of the, you know feudalism and, and land ownership and, and like he talked about with the agrarian society. So it, it makes sense to how we progress that direction because we were most likely not that direction before. Well, it, I can hold these two ideas in my head at the same time because I think about it. If you look at the Bible as a collection of books, some of them histories, some of them parables, like depending on what it is, right? Songs, some of them. But that are from a long time of things laid out, you did, bloodline did matter, right, at right. points. I mean, it's right there in black and white. Um, to people, so that did exist kind of over here. I'm just saying it's an inter- it was an interesting thing to right. hear that, okay, well, wait a minute. And then you look at other cultures, even like in Europe, it's, it's much less accepted for women, but for men, uh, cheating is kind of like going out having a cigar every once in a while. Right. It's uh, it's just a different for anybody who's traveled abroad, like well, seeing how and different not, cultures. And, and a lot of people don't realize, you know, our entire mating rituals are defined by our culture, right? So, um, my Norwegian family, for example. They're the ones that introduced me to the idea that mating over there is completely different than it is over here. Over there, they basically have free sex. You, men and women can go out, and if you're single, you have one-night stands, and that's very routine. And if you have a one-night stand with the same person more than once, maybe by the second, third, or fourth time, and you realize that, you know, I don't mind this person so much, then you might start dating. And then it will progress from there, and then it can go on to marriage or whatever. But that is perfectly acceptable in that society, and that's not looked down upon. So sexuality is completely, it, it's more open, it's more fluid, right? It, it's less judged. And, you know, people think that, well, it has to be this certain way, and it doesn't. It can be constructed in many different ways. And those are just choices that people make as a tribe, as a village, as a culture. You know? And I think that people, well, you know, not just that. That's choices that people make as a couple, don't they? Right. right? That's your individual couple contract, right? And that goes to, like, any relationship, right, type thing. I mean, you can write the contract of whatever you want it to be to, and have that be it. You know, monogamy is a contract. Right. And it's a lot of times an unspoken contract and uh, boundaries that aren't spoken and aren't. Yeah, that's when it becomes a problem. And that's when it becomes a problem because right. one person's definition of cheating, somebody else's definition of cheating is different. Right. You know, like, oh, I was well, just talking. Oh, I just looked at her. In my, fir- is, uh, in my first marriage, my ex-wife was the kind where she was all the way to that level. She would tell me, if, you, if I even looked at another woman, she would be like, you don't love me. You know, if you loved me, you wouldn't even want to look at another woman, right? If you thought that you wanted to have sex with another woman, oh my God, right? It would have ended. So you, you live in this falsityed world that doesn't exist, right? right. And, but I think for anyone, I, I, the mistake is that everybody tries to tell people what type of relationships to have. Instead of like, and they did that like back to what we talked about before. It's not about what type of relationship to have. It's about what type of relationship do you want? And then you got to find somebody else who wants the same type of relationship that you do. And then when you have enough of those parts that, that equate and they match up, then you're like, boom, you know, we yeah. can't have a go of this. Then it's a contract. And, right. But it has to be communicated. It has to be negotiated. It has to be worked on. There's a lot of effort that goes into building process, right? And then people just don't do that. 
they just get together and they assume, and then they get mad at each other when they assume wrong, yeah. you know, and they're living in this... people, like, believe they're monogamous <coughs> when they're truthfully probably not a monogamous person, but they believe they have to be because that's the only role of relationships that are societal. Oh, yeah, that ex- tortured monogamy, right? <coughs> well... I'm not saying it's like a bad thing. I'm not saying monogamy is a bad thing, but I'm saying there's people... No, I'm saying the people like that. They're, they're living in that tortured version. No, you can... I believe you can make a choice to be monogamous, and if you're happy, truly happy, that's a choice. Then you can do that. And I believe, like, that's an easy enough concept to get behind. Yeah. To think about. Like, that's an easy thing to think, oh, monogamous, if you think practically, I don't have to worry about STDs or STIs, whatever you want to call them. I don't have to worry about other, like, anybody else's, my time... It's right. an expensive thing. I have to provide that time with other people. I have to do that thing with other people. Like, I take away from other things I want to put time into. Like, there's give and take. There's yeah, give and take to, to be cheating that. ain't easy, man. It's not. But, well, but there's a thing like if you were on the dating scene and you're having one night stands and you're deciding like, oh, do I like this person? Do I like this person? And you're playing this kind of game. That is non-monogamous. Just because you choose to have a monogamous relationship with a person during that. Like, you were practicing a polyamorous lifestyle right. until you decided that this person is enough to be monogamous with. Right. And I don't think that's what people label that as. It's called, like, playing the field is a non-monogamous action. Right, sure. It's, it's not, like, until you decide to be not monogamous. Right. I think well, it's and- more about boundaries, uh, boundaries, expectations, and uh, so... It's like a like a contract, right? Or a like if you cross this line, then there's this, right? Right. And that line can be moved right or left depending upon the person and the couple. Yeah, and it's a and it's well, a, it's like you do. It's like do whatever you want. This them. is what we agree to do, right? Uh, you know, because I go back to all things are between. The individual and their creator, right. and then the well, contract I'll, you have. I wanna, I wanna say something on that comment for the viewing audience because I was thinking about this earlier. You know, we've referenced the Bible a few times uh, in this podcast, and uh, want to just clarify our religious stances for the audience because I think this is important. Now, Sam, I'll let you go ahead and speak on your religious stance, uh, but just give you a background point of view, let people know where you're coming from. Um. I am a Christian, uh, proudly. However, I, although I understand canon, I'm open to the idea that there are still, we don't necessarily have all the information, um, and I can highlight examples, and I'll debate them readily with anybody, because I'm not completely ignorant to it, although I haven't been through seminary like you. Um, Fair. But I am uh, proudly Christian, and kind of my general stance as I operate is that I have my relationship with the Creator. Right. Fair. Basically. You want to talk uh, on it? Yeah, I, like I said, I grew up knowing, like, Christian values. Didn't start going to real, go, really going to a church until maybe high school. I was baptized in church um, after high school, I started partying and doing things, whatever. Didn't really think about spirituality or my 
religious beliefs are now it's more I can say the same kind of senses it's my relationship with my creator kind of way whatever I can't necessarily name it but like it's my God you know I just view it spiritual yeah I view you have like, a spiritual I God, view I just think God is bigger than anything that we could ever fathom and it's more fluid than anybody could ever imagine I definitely agree with that and right for me to pinpoint and label something all I know is this fucking thing that we're doing right now is magic and right. however you want like you can it's not random it scientifically <laughs> however you want to do it like it can be random but that shit's magic for right. it to randomly happen like that whatever you want it to be like that I, ability to create make chaos, like to organize the chaos that is this universe was magic I heard somebody just say the, the possibility of us to be where we're at right now it would be the equivalent of a tornado hitting a junkyard and building a Boeing well, 747. That was my, my favorite, my favorite uh, class that I teach at the college is, uh, it's a, well, essentially it's a, it, it's a different class, but the portion of the class is chaos management. And uh, my favorite thing that I get to say to students when that class starts is that the universe is based on the principles of chaos management. And if you can understand how to manage chaos, then you can understand the construct of the universe. I was in the army for twenty-one years. And <laughs> that, and that's why it's so applicable to life, right? right? Yeah. yeah, but that's that's a real thing, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I talked a little bit about my background on that, but you know, I, I was raised Christian, and then um, pretty much stayed Christian. I, I, I would tell people that I backslid for a few years. I don't really think that's the case. My religious beliefs never really swayed. Um, and then I went into seminary under Assemblies of God, and then I left the church completely. And then I spent probably the better part of a maybe a decade, close to a decade, as a complete atheist. I was on the science train, baby. And, um, and then I got smart and realized that I'm not the most intelligent thing in the universe. And uh, now I fell into this pathway of like more like spirituality. I believe that there is something bigger than us. Don't know what that is. I have some pretty good guesses. I can go into it on some decent theories, but I would never argue with anybody on it. And, you know, when I reference the Bible, it's because I believe that there is a general truth. I think if you look at modern psychology, modern psychology is just now starting to discover and essentially label out you know they had this like 30 year study that they spent two million dollars on that they came out with the results of the study was they basically discovered that everybody is finds innocence in youth and as they age and mature they lose their innocence and then they spend the rest of their life trying to get back to the innocence of their youth 30 years two million dollars that's the first three chapters of the bible Look, these people have been mapping human behavior for 10,000 fucking years, okay? It's the, the, the truths that are in it are applicable. I don't care if it's Christianity. I don't care if it's Islam, if it's Buddhism. There are certain truths in all of those works because they're psychology. They're human behavioral psychology. It's the greatest study ever. And, yeah, it's applicable. No matter how you want to look at it. And that's why I look to, at some point, for me, faith is important, right? Uh, and I've had, I've had a bunch of friends with varying religious doctrinal beliefs. 
and uh, I've told them in the same way that we may disagree on the doctrine that they adopt. Like I'm like, look, I choose to believe Jesus Christ was Son of God, the Trinity, and all those things. And because they've said, well, what about this and what about this and what about this? I said, hey, check it out. In the end, we're going to find out. And I'm not losing anything by believing what I believe. Right. And I'm also, it's not between me and you what you believe. Right? It's not. Like you said before, you don't really care what anybody believes as long as they don't put it on you. Right. But here's a great example of the evolution from where you're at to where I got. Is... Where I'm at now, I can look at that and I can see the faith in the religion and in the Christianity. And I go, that's a truth. Faith is a truth. Why? Because what I believe in is universal connection, manifestation. You know what that takes? Faith. And the only way that that works is with incredible faith. So when the Bible is talking about faith... You know, I don't care if it's talking about it in their religion. The idea of faith is important. So when somebody who is in a Christian religion practices the act of faith, it works. When somebody who is not a Christian and who practices the act of faith through manifestation, it works. Why? Because faith is important. You have to believe. Well, and I, I feel... When it's time for us to punch out, right? At some point, we're all going to find out. One way or another. No, the truth is the truth. And it doesn't you, matter what you believe. One day, we're all going to find out what that is. Well, and you hear, <laughs> you hear a lot of new uh, near-death experience stuff. Because I went on a deep dive for that for a while. Uh, and mainly because I know personally so many people who've died. Right. Um, and it, uh, and then having, you know, been in the act of taking life, um, and seeing physically firsthand the, the strings get cut on somebody numerous times, right? The, like, I know scientists have literally tried to study and measure a soul or a spirit, yeah. and um, all I can say is, like, that's a real thing. It, I'd be, you would be hard-pressed to sell me or to say, nah, man, it's just, the lights are off, you're done. Well, that was, those were actually two concepts that, that led me away from atheism. Because I realized that the two problems that we have in modern society is, one, death has been removed as a reality. People don't die in front of other people anymore. They die in closed hospital rooms. There's only a small group of in people. In Western society. Yeah, in Western society, there's only a small group of people yeah. that get to see death. In other cultures around the world and in this society, historically, death was something that was a part of our day-to-day life. And then the other side of that is we live in a more man-made, constructed world. You know, if you go into a city, you know, I always think about that if you look at the difference between where we live just outside of the city, you know, what, 20 miles, 30 miles, then you get into St. Louis. Look, if I was living in downtown St. Louis, I'm going to walk out of my building, onto my concrete streets, onto my road, I'm going to see the occasional tree planted somewhere. I'm going to have this perspective that there is nothing else other than what man creates. Right. 
you get out here, I you know, I think it was um I think it was a, a quote in like a hunting book or somebody, but uh, I, I read it a long time ago, but somebody said it's 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 hard not to believe in God from a tree stand. Yeah. You know? Nature is amazing. Dude. You get out there and that makes you realize like, man, shit's bigger than me. I remember standing uh I was on one of the best beaches in the world, or right near it, it's the same beach, but it was on Bellows Air Force Base. Uh, I was by myself in Hawaii, and I was just like, man, I got to get out of the house. Woke up really early, had a cup of coffee, rolled out to the east side of the island, and literally you're talking like white sand beaches, pristine water, and I just kicked back on a tree, like chilling, and I watched the sun come up, and I was like... There is no way. Like, I, I would, I would, I don't think anyone, you would have to be a hard, hard person, hard-headed to sit there and say, this is random. You know, even, and then when you listen to scientists talk about, like, when you break down molecular things and how it, how deliberate it is or precise, it's like, it, it can't be. Like, this, I I don't know. Like, you know, one of the best quotes that I've that I've heard on this, <clears throat> and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't I don't remember the actual quote word for word, but they were talking about the pursuit of extraterrestrial life, and why is science so intent on proving that there's some type of life other than us, and the reality is is because science doesn't want to admit the miracle of our existence. It's too unfathomable, it's too improbable that we exist without anything else that they can't accept that. So that's why they're so dire in pursuit of it. There has to be, right? But instead of just realizing, why just, why just can't you just come to terms with the miracle, man? Why does you can't just be in awe of the, yeah. of the shit if, that we're just we in? Find out or whatever, that there is like, another life, we'll deal with that then. Well, yeah, and like I, I think so. Actually, it, like, yeah. what what would it matter, right? You live your whole life as the best Bible believing, following Christian that you could possibly be, right? And then you die, and then you wake up and you find out where you reincarnation, right? Or boom, next thing you know, there's Allah, bam, you're fucked. <laughs> I mean, at that moment, right? So what's it matter? So if, if you're on the other side of the fence and you want to go out and you want to believe in Buddhism or if you want to practice whatever, and you wake up and you find out that, oh, man, there's Jesus Christ. Nah, shit. Not- right, you know? You're in the same boat, man. So why would you sit there and argue with somebody about believe what I believe? No, you can explain what you believe. You can talk about the fundamentals of your belief. You can maybe even construct a good argument for why you believe what you believe. Yeah. But, brother... You cannot force your belief on another human. Well, that's a problem. That's, you that's just a can't. Problem. That's a problem. What's Hundreds crazy. and thousands of years of society will argue otherwise. What's crazy is how you all look at spiritual adventures. Because they knew they weren't arguing about belief. They were arguing about control. They're arguing about canon. Well, no, it's, a, it's, it's, it's control through belief, right? So the, the core of the principle of that was they were not doing it for the motive of the belief. They were doing it for the motive of the control. So the problem I right? have with... And that changes yeah. everything. Even if you look at... Uh, I've been on this dive lately of... And you'll appreciate this probably, but the canonistic 
uh, development of the Bible. The fact that I the may Bi- have to break out my Latin dictionary on you. Maybe, but right. the well, there's that too because I've I've ar- not argued, but I've talked to plenty of Christians, and I've talked. I use this. I highlight this example in because you know the Ten Commandments, like "Thou shalt not murder" and or "Thou shalt not kill." And this one. Uh, this one kills me because I talked to a guy who knew Latin and he, he broke down what it actually said. And I'm like, well, they, it didn't say thou shalt not kill. It said thou shalt not murder. And it was more specific than that. It was thou shalt not murder another Jew. And then if you look in the <laughs> Old Testament, it said, it, said, it said immediately, because you look, you're like, well, yeah, immediately they crossed over and they went scorched earth to retake, you know, the promised land or whatever. Right. And it's like, okay, well, and then you start the looking. The genocide thing gets you look passed at over. the Council of Nicaea, and you're like, well, wait a minute. So a bunch of dudes sat around and decided what books were actually going to be canon to the Bible and what weren't and canonistic texts. And then I ask people all the time, I'm like, you know, because the layman who doesn't do any amount of research in, in the Christian religion, they'll say, well, you know, thou shalt not add to or take away from. And they'll quote quotes from the Bible, and I'll say, okay, because it's divine text. And it's like, okay, so are the Dead Sea Scrolls divine? Well, yeah, I could probably get on board with that. Okay, cool. They didn't even find all of them. <laughs> like, like, look into how that happened. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, and the, the fact that the Bible, the first book, published by a printing press was the Bible and how it was pushed out, but how it was used in, to control people. And it's, th- that's why, like I said, I feel faith is important. And I know this may sound like a giant contradiction and it's, it's not to me, but it's, it's do, do more, do more homework. Right. Um, D- develop and actually critically analyze things and kind of uh, and then use some introspection and some real soul searching don't no. just blindly look into it look into exactly, it exactly right educate yourself yeah if you're going to have a belief on something especially something as important as your internal moral compass right <clears throat> then you should spend a fair amount of time exercising your due diligence, researching, and making personal sure responsibility. personal responsibility for that belief. Because you're, that's going to influence everything that you do and your interaction with everyone around you. So, and that goes into every belief. Well, that's my biggest problem with people that say religion but don't practice it. You know? Because if you are going to practice a belief, that becomes who you are, the core of who you are. If the core of who you are doesn't change, and you wear your belief as a blanket, that's a problem. Because now you're just hiding yourself in the world, and you're actually a hypocrite, and you're the worst type of person. Well, and right? I use in the Bible all the time, when I'll talk to people, you know, uh, when you see hypocrisy, judgment, whatever, and it's like, look, man, we're all flawed. Right. Flawed, broken beings that are struggling to get through this journey and I'm like no I'll shit. point to Jesus Christ and I'm like look if you if you believe that he didn't who who was he hanging out with 
He was hanging out with sinners. He was hanging out with prostitutes. He was, it, like... This is why you hang out with me. Because you're a prostitute. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. No, but... I'm it, just saying, I'm for pay. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has a price. <laughs> right. Um, I can be bought. <laughs> I'm sexy, too. Some man meat over here. Anyway. He already said he's fashionable. <laughs> I'm fashionable. He'll smell nice. He'll smell nice. nice. He smells Got nice. that big teddy bear hug going on. <laughs> Get that six pack. We're yeah. almost there. Woo! Yeah, that's a real thing. So listening to you guys talk about religion and your beliefs, I I use my faith differently. I was raised Catholic, and religion was forced. It wasn't like, hey, you want to go to church? Heck yeah, let's go. And it was like, ah, oh, fuck, here we go again. Now as an adult, we started going to a non-denominational church, and the way I personally view it is when I'm there that hour and a half, whatever the case may be, collectively by the time we're there, the amount of positivity that's in that hour and a half is amazing. Everyone's in a great mood. Everyone's happy to see you. The message is phenomenal. Um, the amount of negativity I have in my life throughout the whole week, that gives me an hour and a half where I don't have any of that bullshit. It's straight positivity. You mean to tell me that two Christians and two spiritualists can sit in a room or somebody's having a joint, and we can all share ideas and conversations well, and respect each other. I, I already said you're the prostitute. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm genius. The bottom. I, I am the bad influence. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, but I share the same experiences, maybe not in the same way. We share we share the same human experience. Right. I have that. My church is that hour and a half on a Sunday morning where I have, I don't know, maybe 20 adults try to murder me, mm-hmm. and I do that back, and I don't have to worry about yeah. any other, anything else in the world. <laughs> They're happy to see me. They want to be there. They want to be next. Like, we all want to be in this room of positivity, and nothing else matters. This all right. circles back to the very beginning of this podcast with being a good human. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it really be the best human be that you can possibly be. It's probably a good spot to mic drop. Mic drop that? Mike Where are we drop. at on that? What's the time on that? 118. 118? All right. Pretty close. That's a pretty good conversation. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that was good. All right. As always, guys, make sure that you go ahead and hit subscribe. Click that notification bell so that you get future podcasts. We appreciate you guys here. Also, start leaving us some feedback in the comments. We want ideas for future shows. Um, we want to thank our sponsor again. Thank to thank you to Malevolent Art out of Barnhart. Make sure that you go see them. If you mention the Stone Apes podcast, they will give you 20% off. We appreciate their support. Uh, sponsors like them are going to allow us to keep bringing you better content. And uh, hopefully we'll just be able to keep this train going. So as for that, Stone Apes, out.